Hello, listeners of the future and of the present. Welcome back to another edition of Classin' Up the Joint. This is the part of the show where we talk to wonderful and amazing humans about their favorite character class and subclass and all sorts of other things besides. I am your host and random shenanigan-in-chief, I guess, uh, thinking of more titles for myself as we go along. Uh, I am Colin, I use he and they pronouns, and I am joined by my fantastic guest, who I will let introduce themselves. Please, fantastic guest. Hi, I'm Kitty Stryker, I use she, her pronouns, and I am a consent educator, I am an author and a journalist, I'm a street medic. I'm an anti-fascist organizer, I'm a home cook, and I'm the mom to a couple of adorable cats who are also possibly demons. I mean, that seems to be the state for most cats. Like, the, a few yeah. of them that were raised with dogs and think they're dogs, like, take on that quality. But, um, Kitty, where can people find you or find your writing and work on the interwebs if they would like to do so? Yeah, you can Google Kitty Stryker. Um, that's S-T-R-Y-K-E-R. And you'll find me. I'm on Facebook. You can see an archive of my tweets because I'm no longer allowed to log in based wow. on my own shenanigans. Um, I feel like that's a I'm mark of Instagram. pride. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I got kicked off of TikTok or uh, off of Twitter for pretending to be libs of TikTok. Um, <laughs> and it was worth it for sure. It, it I, I gave like a long apology for my behavior. <laughs> oh, oh, that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Definitely. a. Mark I think I identify as a bard. <laughs> mm-hmm. But like a bard arcane trickster mix. Like I, I am noticing I feel like that's a bit of a similarity among many many of the guests on the show so far self-identify when we character class out ourselves as like some flavor of bard. And I think that speaks to I don't know, maybe like the desire to have some sort of public and outward facing persona and presence. Yes. Something. And also we probably think a lot of our uh, ability to talk ourselves in and out of things. <laughs> Yes, very much so. Uh, very much so. I emceed a show this weekend, and I've come away from it thinking like, oh yeah, my ability to just keep my mouth moving and stuff saying out of it is actually kind of a marketable talent and like worthwhile in very specific arenas. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I absolutely hate public speaking or doing workshops or like that kind of interaction, especially in front of a crowd. I shake every single time. I've been doing it for 20 years, but it has never gotten any easier. But I'm pretty decent at it. Yeah. It's just something that, like, I'm too introverted for that kind of nonsense. I I think those nerves are a really good thing. Like, as a performer as well, I'm like, every time I'm backstage before a show, if I don't have that feeling and a little bit of, like, adrenaline and excitement, I decided a long time ago when I stopped feeling that it's time to, like, do something else with my life you know i think it makes us better i think for me it's that i it's less excitement and more dread but i have a Uh instinct to lean into my fear so whenever i'm especially afraid of something or i feel really um trepidatious about something i push further in Mm -hmm. um which has served me well as a street medic it means that i 
walk very readily into tear gas because sure. that's where people need help. Yeah. Um, it's also served me well in psychedelics where the more you dive into your fears and get to know them, the easier it is. Yeah. So, yeah. Wonderful. <laughs> Uh, well, Kitty, I'd like to, I guess, start things off by asking the new question I'm trying to ask everyone. How did D&D or tabletop RPGs grab you? How did they sink their hooks in initially? Well, I think initially, before I even really knew what D&D was, I remember going through my dad's monster manual. Mm -hmm. um, so he had played some D&D like way back in the day. and the monster manual was so intriguing for me and so exciting. I loved mythological creatures. So I really got into that and like learning about what all these creatures were and like where you could find them in other mythologies. But then I didn't really do anything with that. Mm -hmm. That was just like a cool, weird book that my dad had. Um, until I think my early twenties, I was dating somebody who wanted to start playing D and D and we did a 3.5. Well, I would say campaign. We, we had like maybe four or five sessions uh -huh. before it dissolved, which I think is really common. Yeah. Um, and then I found another group and I did that again, but there were a lot of couples in that group. And so there was a lot of intercouple tension and when a couple split up that group fell apart and i vowed that i did not want to game at a table <laughs> with a couple anymore because that's just too messy like it's I just, hard I, I it's too important to me yeah to have it get messed up by some weird interpersonal stuff that they can't leave I feel like table. I feel like scheduling and the interpersonal dynamics, especially if like there's a couple or multiple couples at a table can really make or break a, a game group. Yeah, absolutely. And it's not like these were new couples. They had been together for five years. So like, yeah, it just made me really um, anxious about being at a table where that dynamic was happening. Um Granted, I have a Sunday group and we had um, a couple in that and it was it was fine. Um, but I think that there is also a weird dynamic that happens almost subconsciously where the couple either enjoys antagonizing each other, which can be uncomfortable for everybody else at the table because you're not sure, like, is this your character or is yeah. this because somebody didn't do the dishes yeah. um, or alternately? they will support each other wholeheartedly no matter what, even when one of them is doing something that is against mm -hmm. the rest of the party or whatever. And that can also be frustrating. Yeah. So yeah. I think, and I, I don't think that they even always realize that that's what they're doing. Um, but yeah, it's sort of like we're, you're invite. The rest of the table is invited on this journey <laughs> it's of like, your relationship, and like a little bit of your own in couples therapy through role play sort of thing, which yeah. the rest of us did not necessarily get a chance to opt into. Yes, I have definitely learned as somebody who likes to play around with weird um, emotional states and something that I'm dealing with in real life at the table, which I think a lot of people like to do. 
Mm-hmm. I now make sure that I tell people at the table, like, I'm really interested in exploring this character's relationship to whatever. Um, yeah. For example, I had a character who was a goblin in a No Humans Eberron campaign, and that goblin was an indentured servant for a while. And so, like, I told the rest of the group, like, this goblin is going to be very, like, committed to anarchist at any cost kind of ideals and, like, freeing goblinoids from this indentured servitude. So it might brush up against issues of classism, of Mm -hmm. racism. Is that going to be okay? Because I can, like, change the backstory. Uh, But thankfully, everybody was cool with it. And we had a really interesting campaign that allowed us to explore those dynamics that are a little darker, a little more troubling, but with the consent of everybody involved. Yeah. And and I know that's something that I want to get into in like kind of the second half of our, our interview, like how important it is that, you know, setting aside in real life, utterly fucking essential at all times to have people's consent and full opting into that. Yeah. But within a gaming space, even when you're playing with fantasy and imagination and it's not real, that it's really important for people to have that chance to opt in before these things come up in a campaign or in a game. Yeah. Absolutely. And to opt out. I mean, in that campaign, we had a very intense thread of us being uh, part of an organized crime ring, sort of not directly, but indirectly. And we were making drugs. Mm -hmm. Uh, Like that was a huge part of the things that we were doing amongst other things. That was one of our money makers was making different substances as safely as possible. And, um, you know, we had been doing that for over a year. And then one of the players at the table was like, Hey, my, I'm dealing with some personal stuff in my life or someone close to me is dealing with substance abuse. Can we tone that down? Cause I'm, it was, it was okay before, but now I'm finding it really difficult. It was like, absolutely. Yeah. Like that was just a funny bit that we had that ended up becoming a core part of the campaign. It was absolutely fine to make that sort of running itself in the background. And I was really glad that she felt comfortable saying, hey, it's not even that this is triggering, like this isn't giving me PTSD, but it's just uncomfortable. It's, it's, just, it's not you know? fun anymore. Yeah. yeah, it's not fun anymore for me. Or like, it makes me think about things that make me sad. Yeah. Fine, yeah, then it's not worth it. Yeah, 100%. Um, well, okay. To shift slightly, since this is something that I very much want to come back to, uh, the the first important important question, Kitty, what is your favorite character class or multiple classes within D anD D? So, I think that I apparently am going to go along with a lot of other people and say, yeah, I have a soft spot for arcade tricksters. They're great. Um, I am currently playing my second arcane trickster finally got to level three so I could finally do arcane trickster stuff. Um, and they're just really fun, you know, like it's, it's really easy to be mischievous and lighthearted as an arcane trickster. Um, and I enjoy that. 
Yeah. <laughs> I tried doing a trickery cleric before, and that was very fun also, but still it was more serious than Arcane Trickster. I think Arcane Trickster is just sillier. And you get and you can get a familiar, and I love having an animal friend. Always. Always. I so jumping right past class to the favorite subclass then we're like absolutely oh, yeah. here no, for it's it. not even the it's not rogues. It's not it's rogues. It's just, just yeah. arcade, it's just arcade tricksters. But but because that's been covered so much, I am going to talk about a class that I I thought I would enjoy, but I also really wanted to avoid some of the tropes around it. Okay. So I decided to play a bard. And, you know, there's so many jokes about bards being like these super sexed up, like horny music playing, like rock god kind of thing. And I didn't want to do any of that. That sounded really boring. I'm asexual. I don't want to have those kinds of conversations. Like, (laughs) nah, no thanks. Um, so I wanted to play a bard that was kind of pathetic, actually. And like, that was in a band, but not like a good band it was like in a jam band. Um, and had, <laughs> had a band with another person who went on to become a rock star and he didn't. He got left behind. Oh, wow. And so he was sort of, <laughs> okay. yeah. So he was a sad dad bard. Um, who had abandoned his wife and child for a life on the road. Um, and it wasn't working out. And I wanted to play with that. And it was interesting to figure out, like, what's a good subclass for that story? Yeah. Because, um, you know, I feel like the uh, College of Eloquence kind of works. And, like, that's definitely, like, the bardiest bard that ever barded. <laughs> But um, I ended up picking um, the School of Glamour mm-hmm. instead because I thought, well, he's really concerned with making himself look good. Yeah. Um, and so I I wanted to lean into the sort of charm effects. And one of the to go back to consent stuff, one of the things that was part of his backstory was that he had charmed his ex-wife. Wow. And that was a big, big breach of boundaries she found out about it she was furious and that was like the thing that severed their relationship and he didn't understand Mm -hmm. like that he he hadn't consciously like i'm gonna cast a spell and make you do something um so his relationship with his magic was sort of like i just want something really badly and And, it it happens (laughs) yeah um and so a lot of his journey was like learning how to control that and learning to be more ethical with it. It's very interesting to play a bard school that's all about charming people and be like, but charming people's not ethical. So how do you decide when the ends justify the means and like, how do you deal with this? So like, that's like a really dark and intense conversation to have. For an incredibly goofy character whose name was Randy Anderson and his jam band was uh, Scion Maiden. (laughs) He was a dork. He was a dork. Um, But I wanted to to have this like exploration of like, yeah, first of all, what if charisma isn't just about 
persuading people to do things, but like sort of subconsciously manipulating them into doing mm-hmm. things by being like really pathetic or like feigning helplessness. So he was the definition of weaponized incompetence when I first <laughs> introduced him to the party. Um, and like through his journey, he learned to not do that mm-hmm. and to be more conscious and to be more mindful. And like that was, I had just been dealing with a breakup where weaponizing sure. confidence was really big. And so this was like a really healing journey to like get him yeah. through and understanding consequences and um well and I feel like having really, to apologize. Mm-hmm. And like a really powerful journey, right? It's like I, I feel like that is a not uncommon trope in some sci-fi and fantasy and things like when you have the power to make someone do something. How do you deploy that power? Is it ever ethical? Even if, um, yeah, I, I I played a glamour bard and was very similar. It was like, well, I can just kind of enchant people and charm them and they can't do anything about it. Is it okay when they're demons in the nine hells trying to hurt my friends? Is that, is that okay? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, that is something I explore a lot with my consent work, too, Mm -hmm. is that kind of, like, gray area where it's not as easy to say what's right, what's wrong. It's sort of more complicated than that. So it was, uh, I mean, in general, he was a really fun person to play. You know, he was just really pathetic. And so, like, his charisma skill was just making people feel sorry for him. And so they it's wanted re- to do what he asked because they were like, oh, this poor guy. And like, it's like, that's a very real world translatable bard in a lot of ways. Sadly. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Like, and he was definitely like, he didn't fail upwards, but he did sort of fail along a plateau like he didn't tend to fail <laughs> downward it's like a couple little ups should've. and downs but like roughly yeah. parallel path <laughs> yeah absolutely um, and i mean i remember when i was talking with my dm about it like um there was a moment in the game where we encountered my ex-wife and wow. he was like oh she's so happy to see you. i was like no stop time out no 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 Like, he fucked up, and she should be mad, and she should have moved on. And, like, that's the relationship I want this to to be, Mm -hmm. is one where he has to accept that once something is broken, it's never going to be like it wasn't broken. That is always going to be there. You can have a new relationship, but you can never have that same old relationship it's the best you can hope for is kind of the um uh what's the, the japanese pottery art where they like use gold to re uh put yeah, ceramics um, back together I'm i know gonna, i can see the word but i don't want to mispronounce it you hope for that like you, you know your bard yeah. had this relationship that was this beautiful he thought beautiful ceramic cup that was maybe one of those ones made an art class for your mom and is like lumpy and like slightly sideways broke it completely as she realizes he had enchanted her the entire time and then you're like no you you have to put the pieces back together assuming they haven't like you haven't lost the handle under the couch sort of thing yeah yeah and you know there's probably some chips missing it'll be a little bit weaker yeah you know like yeah but i 
I didn't want her to just automatically forgive him and they get back together. It's all yeah. like I wanted him to have to work for it. Yeah. And I wanted him to have to like win a relationship with his son back, like win his son over. I wanted her to be with somebody who was like a decent dude, you know, like he wasn't hurting her or anything like, yeah, you know, it's just, that's just how it is. And yeah. it was interesting to like sort of talk to my DM privately and be like, look, this is really important. I don't want this stuff to be excused. I don't yeah. want it to be shoved he under the rug. I want it to be a journey where he has to, recognize that there are consequences for your behavior and I, even when it's magic <laughs> and i feel like it what you're also giving the rest of the party an opportunity to to ro both process any of their own feelings around this and also in the role play like help someone grow a lot which feels yeah. good even when it's even when you're you know have an imaginary character that you've become attached to like it feels good to help people Maybe a little yeah. bit better in real life, debatable, but like to help your imaginary friend with their imaginary personal growth is like really satisfying. Yeah, I think it was um, it was enjoyable. Like I, I actually had asked if it was OK for him to be like several levels behind everyone else, because I, I really wanted him like he wasn't an adventurer, so it didn't yeah. make sense. Like I didn't want him to be so low level that he was a complete liability, but I wanted him to be a little bit of a liability. <laughs> you know, I wanted it to be a situation where he felt indebted to the party and the party was like, we have to protect this guy because he's going to die. Like, yeah. <laughs> he does not know what he's doing. He doesn't really understand that he has magic. Yeah. Um, that's a conversation we need to have. So like, it was a really good match for the party who were now very high level Sure, to have him be sort of, uh, I think they met him on a caravan or something. Um, and he ended up like the caravan got attacked. So he ended up joining the party to get mm -hmm. back to, um, Calimport. Okay. Um, but he was, he was a very fun character and it was so yeah. much fun coming up with like names for his songs. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Oh my God, hi, you're listening to us, thanks. I hope you're enjoying the show. If you are, if you could leave us a five-star rating or review on the podcast platform that you prefer, it would give me and I'm sure all of us a massive dopamine hit um, and it helps spread the word about our amazing show that we're all having so much fun doing. If you could follow us on social media, we're at The Roll Report Cast on Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, and that's it. <laughs> and if you really like us and or you have all the money in the world, like some of our Bay Area friends do, you could support us at patreon.com slash the roll report. Now back to the show. I, I'm imagining the way you were describing this character, I... I want to pose the question to you. When you are creating a new one, do you look at who this person is before you start thinking at what mechanical configuration do I want to, to suit this? Or 
Or is, yeah. it, is it variable? That At least with this character, it sounded like you had a very clear idea of who they were and then sort of went looking for, like, the best mechanical fit after the fact or after yeah, that ideation. That's, that's generally how I... I mean, I've had situations where I was like, okay, what... Like, I've joined a group that's established. I've been like, okay, what's missing from this party? Okay, you guys really need a druid. Okay, mm-hmm. Who's this druid then? Sure. And like figured out a good entry point and like who in the party does this person have a relationship to? Like what is their incentive for being with the party? Mm-hmm. Um, so sometimes it starts with filling a gap. Um, but if I have my druthers, I like to start with, oh, I really want to play this kind of person. Yeah. And I want them to have this kind of emotional journey. Um, what would work for that? Yeah. Um, so like, for example, I'm playing a character named Zephyr, who is an Air Genasi wild magic sorcerer. And I wanted to play Always somebody fun. who was just like very bimbo-esque, very sort of like... Definitely that kind of gifted child archetype of like, well, if I try and I fail something, then I'm going to feel stupid. So I'd rather just not try and just be like, oh, well, I could do that. Yeah. But we don't need to test that at all. <laughs> no, no, no. Just <laughs> take my word that was for it. A really, it's fine. <laughs> I thought that was a really interesting, like, wild magic sorcery thing where I always like to find a reason why the wild magic happens. Mm-hmm. So whether that be like, you know, substance abuse issues or dementia or, um, you know, in this, it's just that, like, she didn't really study because she felt like she shouldn't have to. She didn't need to. Um, so she gets certain sigils wrong and, like, it doesn't quite mm-hmm. work the way it's supposed to. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like that makes it a more interesting character. So it sort of grounds it in some ways um, while also giving yeah. a reason for the mechanics and guides me a little bit and like, oh, well, what kind of spells would this person have? So I'm really not like I'm the opposite of a min maxer. And I have to be careful that I'm not just satisfying my storytelling urge for the character and coming up with spells that make sense for them, but aren't mm-hmm. especially helpful for the party. Yeah, I have to like resist that urge and like say, okay, but some things need to be useful for other people. Well, I I would say that makes you a very good team player. And at the same time, sometimes I I myself really love like, no, 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 I am committing wholeheartedly to this bit. This character will have no useful mass spells. It's all variant, like whatever flavor I'm building. Like, no, no, I'm I sometimes I think where I guess where I'm going with this. I think it is sometimes the DM's job to figure out if you have a very oddly balanced party, like weighted too much towards character classes, or if someone has been like, I'm playing this version of an idiot and they're going to be this version of an idiot. And like, okay, I, as the DM Mm -hmm. must adapt to your lunacy. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And it definitely like, it depends on the DM, Mm -hmm. like the DM for the wild magic sorcerer, He's somebody I've played and like has been at the table with me as a player. And so I kind of know what his vibe is. And I was like, okay, 
this is the right level of antics for you <laughs> where you can put her in uncomfortable situations where like she has prestigitation because she doesn't like to get dirty. Yep. Like that's just gross to her. Always a classic. And so like, of course, if you're like, you know, dungeon delving, you're going to get messy. You're going to get blood on you. So he has a lot of fun putting her in these uncomfortable positions and I get to like play that out. And that's really fun, but it's also offering her an opportunity to be like, okay, I'm in uh-huh. the real world now. Yeah. What does that look like? I, I do love this image of like you, you finish fighting in a dungeon and like the second they're like DMs like, okay, you're out of initiative. You go, I start casting prestidigitation to clean all this blood and like monster bits off of me. Right Every then. time she she accidentally stabs someone to death, like like some, like because she was freaking out and somebody left her um uh what's it her uh, but she got an opportunity attack and she just sort of went <laughs> like stabbed him and he died. And, <laughs> and you're so left like, looking like I have my hand is all bloody now. Damn it. Yeah, yeah. It was, and she was just like freaking out, like rocking back and forth and being like, oh God, oh God. Mm-hmm. Like, why did I ever leave? <laughs> like, oh. And it's just, it's it's also she we sort of discovered in that I hadn't really put this into her backstory, but it was fun to like go, oh, that would make sense. Mm-hmm. She is probably from a very high-ranking um, crime family, but yes. she's never had to do any of that stuff. Uh-huh. There are other people who do that, so she, everything just sort of works out for her. Yeah, <laughs> because she's you know the the daughter of the mafia daughter. There's like the so two like, bodyguard shadow monks that you never see on camera yeah. that just clean up everything behind her as she goes. Yeah, yeah. So, like, the fact that she is a wild magic sorcerer and occasionally just firebombs, like, her apartment <laughs> fine yeah. because there are other people who clean it up for her. And yep. so, like, now she's in this space where she doesn't have anyone to clean up her messes. And that ended up being like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. And it's fun. And that gives me an extra layer to this character where, like, this amount of violence is not something she's ever see mm-hmm. she knows it happens but in an intellectual way uh-huh i i want to follow with a question that i'm now i think going to ask of everyone who mentions wild magic sorcery which is did you use kind of the standard table that's in either player's handbook or dm guide or did you find or create your own custom table to roll on for the surges um, we we use the standard table but we amp it up um, in terms of like how often nice. you like how like I forget what exactly the DM's dynamic is, but I roll every time I cast a spell, but every time it gets a little bit easier to have mm-hmm. to roll on the wild magic table. Like the- and when that happens, it only goes down by half. It doesn't go down to zero again. Mm-hmm. So, like, it's just going to get worse and worse and worse, which kind of makes sense for her as somebody who's like, oh, shit, I really didn't study. Mm -hmm. Um, And this is increasingly a problem. Yeah. Um, So I think that'll be really fun. And I I love that mechanic. I actually I pulled it up so I could look at it in. I think rules is written. Uh, DM can have you roll once per turn after you cast a spell plus, you know, anything else. Uh, But then only 
only on a one on a d20 rolled would you surge according i think if i interpreted that right yeah. but i i love the escalating and dc that's so boring. It, it is <laughs> but you're like okay you cast a spell dc is one you rolled a five great next dc is two and just have it keep building up yeah, yeah. way more fun just so many more, more interesting fun, bits of wild more magic frequent Mm-hmm. And it makes sense that as stress increases, as the challenges get harder, um, it becomes easier for that to be um, yeah. to, to get that wild magic surge. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So totally. I, I think it's fun to find ways to like it's sort of a, a to answer your question, this really long winded way. It is sort of a mixture of mm-hmm. like, here's a character I want to play or here's a slot that needs to be filled. How do I make this interesting for me in a way yeah. that allows for complications and growth? Yeah. And I really love to give my characters complications. Like, I don't want them to be like Mary Sue, everybody loves them kinds of people. I want them yeah. to be difficult in some way without being difficult for the party because i i also sure. hate that that whole attitude of like well that's what my character would do so i'm just gonna be a massive dick <laughs> if you do it too often does not like don't grow the character doesn't grow then you're just like well now you're just being a dick you know yeah 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 and that's not fun and so it's like it's it's an interesting mixture mm-hmm. of like how do you make the story interesting while also yeah. making sure that you're not holding the party back yeah absolutely uh I want to circle back to to kind of like the, these class and subclasses that are on on top of your preferential or favorite list. Like, what what are the mechanical things that that are most exciting or interesting? I where I think we are landing. Correct me if I'm wrong. Arcane Trickster because it's obviously one of the best. Everybody loves it. Yeah. Uh, so far, sure. definitely winning on the spreadsheet of how many people are mentioning it on the show. Um, and then I, I guess I don't know if like if College of Glamour ended up being a very fun or or favorite ish subclass when you mentioned uh, uh, Randy Anderson um, or Wild yeah. Magic Sorcerer. Like, are those also in this list, or is Arcane Trickster just like head and shoulders? That is far above everything else. Well, I think I really like Bardic Inspiration, mm-hmm. um, and I like finding ways to make the Bardic Inspiration fit with the character. So, like, Randy Anderson was very much a, like, you go, champ, you got this kind <laughs> of, like, bardic inspiration person. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, definite inspiration from Dungeons & Daddies, from uh, Galir, from Dimension 20. Like, you know, there's just that, that archetype is just really fun. Yeah. And so I wanted to have a character who thought that his, like preferred instrument or like the thing that he got his power from was being in a band, like Mm -hmm. being a musician, but it was actually the way that he empowered the people around him through like giving them pep talks and like being sympathetic and like really being compassionate. And I I liked playing that out where he like thought that it was this thing, but it was actually something completely different. And he began to learn like, Oh, Actually, the power that I have is my dadness. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, that's the thing. So, like, you know, doing, um, uh, the sort of like man- mantle of majesty mm. or enthralling mm-hmm. performance where you can, like, 
inspire other people around you, uh, but not having it necessarily relating to him mm-hmm. playing his instrument. <laughs> um, yeah. Though he did end up winning a really cool instrument in a battle for the bands. Um, nice. Where he was definitely the oldest person there. <laughs> But that was like his moment of glory was like beating a bunch of teenagers. Oh my god, I love that. And then he, he did have a moment of recognition of like, huh, yeah, maybe I should not do this. <laughs> like, if I'm that, like, this was my peak and I'm going to let it go now. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Um, well, I, okay, I think. In that case, then, I would like to, to and if you want to hear the rest of the episode, better support us on Patreon, patreon.com slash the roll report, and you will get to hear all the stuff. I, Kitty, I am so glad you wanted to be here with me today. Thank you yeah. so much. Uh, I just, yeah, thank you for having me. I, you know, it is my pleasure. I just like half an eye on the time and also going like, again, I could talk about this all day and then we'll have like a seven hour interview for people to listen to. And like, <laughs> I don't know if they opted do that. in that. We'll, just, we'll have some tea and we'll just sit and It'll talk and record it. It'll be fine. It'll be great. Um, so uh, I want to ask, when is this book coming out? Because that sounds like a really fucking important important book of teenagers and consent yeah um it should be out in april all right Um, it is available for pre-order on amazon on i think like various indie bookseller type situations um it's called say more consent conversations for teens and it's basically i had a bunch of teenagers ask questions about consent like hard questions And I have like a chapter heading that's one of these questions. And then I try to answer it and I Mm -hmm. offer some like critical thinking questions at the end. Um, I also offer some like, here's some particularly difficult scenarios. And here are some things that I would think about as I'm navigating those. Mm -hmm. Like, for example, um, I was doing something with somebody they said yes at the time and now they're like oh actually i didn't want to do that Mm -hmm. what do i do how do i feel about that how do i resolve this in some way how do i resolve it for myself how do i resolve it for the other person and so like trying to offer people some tools while also keeping them flexible enough that um it's not uh it's, it's like suggestions rather yeah. than like rules. It's not, it's um, not I a step by say, step. Yeah. 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 It's more like, Hey, like here's some things I would think about mm-hmm. and that should give you a starting place rather than it being like, just do this and you will never have any problems. Yeah. You know what? Regardless of your age, that sounds like information we could all use. <laughs> Check out. Yeah. Honestly, it's pretty great. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I'm pretty proud uh, of it. Yeah. Well, uh, Find Kitty Striker on Google. Do all the things. Check out her new book. We should all be doing, saying more and having more consent in our daily life and practice. Uh, Kitty, thank you so much again for joining me for Classing Up the Joint. It's been such a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you for having me. And a quick postscript. Don't Google my name if you're at work, uh, because I did (laughs) used to work in the adult industry. And I just want to make sure that those pictures yep. don't show up if yep. you're at your workplace. <laughs> uh, we'll put a late, we'll put a little notice, a little warning in the show notes just in case. Good plan. <laughs> uh, wonderful. Well, thank you so much again. Thank you.